When it comes to getting trusted sports gaming strategies and info, you can ask your dumb friend Kevin. Duh! Or you can just listen to us. We recommend us. And we won't ask to borrow your car either. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. Welcome to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. On today's show, we're going to spend extended time with my good friend John Ryan at John Ryan Sports One on Twitter. We're going to break down the world of college football. I have a ton of questions to ask John. He's a guy with a Wall Street background. We're going to find out what he took from Wall Street and brought to the sports betting world. We're going to talk about Hard numbers versus eye test versus digging for info. We're going to talk about how we change our approach throughout the course of the college football season. What's different about October versus September versus November. And of course, uh, John's going to give us a free play or two before we let him off the show. But before we get into John Ryan, and of course, this is the first time on the show, I'm going to ask him his superhero origin story. I want to talk a little bit about my superhero origin story because I'll tell you what, you know, people think that I was always as jaded as I am, <laughs> you know, because here I am, I'm a guy, I feel bad for fans, I, I feel sorry for the guys who are rooting for teams. And that probably has something to do with my own experience, you know, and at this stage of the game, you know, I'm a 50-something-year-old guy, I'm as jaded as it gets, I could care less in terms of fandom. But that wasn't always the case. I used to be a kid. And I'm going to tell a quick Teddy Covers origin story. And it starts uh, with this. I was texting back and forth with my nephew. He had an opportunity to go see the Red Sox play in the postseason the other night. And it was, what an experience. You know, his dad scored tickets. He was so excited. It was arguably, you know, one of the best nights of his life. And he's, you know, a teenager uh, who's always been a Red Sox fan. And boom, you know, going to see a playoff game. And a playoff game in which the Red Sox win, that was <laughs> truly uh, a thrilling experience for him. And I was thinking back to my own childhood, because, yeah, I, I wasn't always jaded. I used to be a kid. Uh, and I was remembering the most memorable game that I went to as a child. And that, of course, I had to look up the date. <laughs> I remember the game, but I had to look up the date. It was September 3rd, 1976. God, I'm dating myself. Uh, you know, I'm still in single digits at that age. And that was the night where Tom Seaver broke the all-time record for the most consecutive 200 strikeout seasons. It was Seaver versus Carlton. Steve Carlton, the Hall of Famer, two Hall of Famers. one nothing game. I was there that night, and it was special. Tom Seaver was my idol. I was a Little League pitcher. All I wanted to do was beat Tom Seaver when I grew up. And he was spectacular that night. He really was. So now we flash forward to the next year. It's not 1976 anymore. Now it's 1977, the very next year. I'm still not yet 10 years old. And I wake up on June 15th, 1977. And I didn't have to look this date up. I remember it still. <laughs> June 15th, 1977. And I woke up. And again, I'm not a guy that read the, you know, I'm nine years old. I'm not reading the newspaper every day. I didn't know that Tom Seaver was feuding with the GM, M. Donald Grant. I didn't know there were contract issues. I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew was that Tom Seaver was the best player the Mets ever had. He played his whole career in New York, and I expected him to be there forever. 
And I woke up on June 15, 1977, to the news that Tom Seaver had been traded. As a fan, my heart was broken. I didn't have to look up the four guys they got for him. I remember all four. Doug Flynn, Pat Zachary, Steve Henderson, Dan Norman. None of them did anything. <laughs> uh, Tom Seaver went on to throw a no-hitter and have success in Cincinnati and have success in other places. And the Mets proceeded to finish in last place in five of the next six years before starting to turn things around in the Daryl Strawberry era. Dave Kingman was traded to the Padres that same day. And you know when you're a kid, you're like, uh, you're, you're, you're batting uh, or you're pitching. You're like, all right, I'm Tom Seaver. Well, when we were batting, you know, the Yankee fans were Reggie Jackson and the Mets fans were Dave Kingman. <laughs> you know, Dave Kingman got traded to the Padres that same day. Again, for nothing. For absolutely nothing. It wasn't like the Mets got better. They were getting worse. And those two trades, Seaver being traded, Kingman being traded before my 10th birthday, I can't say they didn't affect me psychologically long-term. My heart was broken. <laughs> All right, as a kid, you know what it's like. Your heart is just, you can't believe that just happened. And I don't know that I've ever been a fan the same way. It probably set me down the path where I am today, where I truly pity the fans. You know, the ultimate black heart when it comes to sports betting. I don't care if a team wins or not, unless I'm betting on them. And when it comes to fandom, there are few things more useless than wasting your time and energy on a team that doesn't care about you. They'll trade away anybody. <laughs> but when it comes to how that affects, I'm telling you, you know, looking back on it, that was a, a seminal, you know, that's the day my childhood ended. No, it wasn't. I was still only nine. But I don't ever remember having the same true love for anything that I had for those players back in those days. So you say, Teddy, how did you get so jaded? Why do you not care about sports? I care about sports. But from a fan perspective, they don't care about you. They don't care about you one bit. <laughs> All right, the players don't. The ownership doesn't. Uh, the long-term prospect of the franchise don't, et cetera, et cetera. What they care about is making money. That's the job of MLB teams and NFL teams and NBA teams. Their job is to make money. All right, that's why the owners own them. That's why the players play on them. It's a money-making endeavor. And you know what? I'm on this side of the counter now where I'm betting on these guys. I want to be a fan. All I want to do is make money off of them the way they make money off of me. We could give you some BS saying we get off on the high-minded calculations and analysis. <laughs> really, we mostly do it for the fun. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid, a radio network. And I'm excited to bring our guest in for today, John Ryan, at John Ryan Sports One uh, on Twitter. And this is a guy who spent years working on Wall Street. And then he had some health issues and he said, I can't do this anymore. And he said, what can I do for the rest of my life that's going to interest me? And he's found sports betting as a source of interest and a source of profit. Of course, John is off to a phenomenal start 
uh, this football season. He's over at SportsMemo.com, and I think he leads SportsMemo.com in just about every football category so far uh, this season. The NFL and college, he's doing real well. So I wanted to bring him on the show today for the first time. Let's talk with John Ryan, see why he's doing as good as he is this season, and see if we can learn something from what he has experienced. John, welcome to the program. How are you today? Well, thank you for that tremendous introduction, Teddy. It uh, means a lot. And it's uh, been a lot of hard work, as you know, but, um, you know, hard work pays off. Simple as that. Yeah, sometimes it does. <laughs> less, uh, there are weeks where you work really hard in this business and you end up with less money uh, than you had the previous week. So, And you, work... you had to make me think about Tampa Bay last night. Yeah, exactly. Of course, Tampa Bay on Thursday night. <laughs> Uh, and the non-cover against Philadelphia. And just right at the top, you brought that up. It, we have to talk about this real quick. Uh, today's a college show. But we're seeing more of the newer, more innovative coaches doing this in the NFL. When they're down two touchdowns in the second half, and they score the first one to, in theory, cut the lead to seven, the innovative coaches are going for two and having a chance to cut the lead to six. That gives you a chance to steal a win and from a, if you can score again, obviously, and of course, if you fail on the two-point conversion, you get another try if you score another touchdown. You can still get the game into OT. The analytics say that is the right move to make. Do you agree with that coaching strategy that we saw from Nick Sirianni, which cashed tickets for Eagles backers on Thursday? Yeah, it's not because I lost by the hook last night. It's because I can show you analytics at some time in the future that show that this is really a ridiculous strategy and that um, much, much of the money ball type of analytics are just getting out of hand. And personally, I, I strongly believe if you're down two touchdowns, you take every single point you can get, and then you worry about winning the game on a two-pointer when it matters and there's 30 seconds on the clock and you're down one. And uh, we saw that in the uh, Mississippi game last week uh, where um, the opponent oh, so went for the two-point conversion. Yeah. So, uh, so I think I, you're wrong. I don't agree with Let's it. argue about this for a minute. Because okay. you're saying that you're showing that, that, that you've got studies that show. What do these studies supposedly show? Because to me, it makes perfect sense. You're down 14. You're trying to win the game. When you score the touchdown, if you go for two, you're giving yourself a chance to win the game in regulation, which takes overtime. Overtime's no better than a coin flip. And when you have a chance, not only you get a do-over if it fails, you get a huge edge if it succeeds, and you have a chance if it succeeds to win the game without doing anything else except scoring one more touchdown. So uh, I'm real surprised that you're saying that you, you don't like that strategy. To me, that's well, the advanced that that's the advanced metrics clearly show that's the best way to go down two TDs late. What what is the uh, percentage? Sir, what's the percentage probability you convert a two point conversion? Now that's a very yeah, good please. question. If you're looking at the long term numbers. You're probably looking at what are we talking about? About forty percent of the time, not even. Uh, just uh, just a shade under for the last five seasons, about thirty-eight percent. But if you're talking about after you scored on a long touchdown drive, running one more play against a tired defense in the fourth quarter, I'd be willing huh. to bet that those two-point conversion rates over the last uh, whatever five minutes of the game or ten minutes of the game would be higher than the average. Would you disagree with that? No, I would agree. And, and the higher the score, it's a great point. Uh, in college football, we have much higher scoring than we do in the NFL, especially in the SEC. And the higher the scoring is, the more scoring volatility, uh, as I call it, 
that takes place, then th- there is more reason to go for the two when you're down 14, uh, when it's a you know a track meet type of uh, of affair. NFL, uh, yeah, we're, they're scoring more certainly, but it's not the type of scoring that uh, in, in the third or fourth quarter that this two-point thing makes sense to me. I'd rather have the game tied and have a coin flip than have two chances at 38%. So, in other words, Wow, that's not, that's not good math. You'd rather have a coin flip than two chances at 38%? Well, I can also I can also beat myself up too, and at the rate that these field goal kissers are missing extra points, <laughs> uh, which is unbelievably high, that these guys are not making the extra point from short distance, then I can tie that in, and it'd be interesting for me to run a study with uh, the recent demise of field goal kicking for extra points, because that would bring in the two point conversion a little bit more. But uh, you know, if I was gambling, I had a chance. Um, you know, assuming that a extra point is is almost uh, a ninety eight percent certainty, I'd rather have uh, that certainty twice and then a coin flip in overtime than try to go for thirty eight percent on two different occasions. Yeah, but if you make the first one, you don't have to go for the second. Well, we can agree that, to disagree on this one, John. That's we're, the we're, we're, we're already short on time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, here we go. We we, we got sidetracked. Uh, and we've got to take it after the first segment uh, and talked about uh, two-point conversions, yes or no. I want to talk about you. All right, John Ryan. Let me start with this. Anytime I have a guest on for the first time, I like to get uh, what I call a superhero origin story. Who is John Ryan, and why should anyone care about what you have to say about betting college football? Well, John Ryan got involved with investment banking, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and I uh, had a pretty, pretty awesome uh, career on the institutional side. Uh, it, it wasn't stockbroking and that kind of thing. It was like working with uh, university endowment funds, foreign banks, central banks, um, and, and just doing a lot of fun things. We, we actually did stuff for some of the big oil conglomerates in the futures pit that you may remember uh, used to involve hand signals and guys yelling and screaming at each other, and maybe we don't do that anymore because we have the technology. But... During that career, um, I reported to this one guy, I reported to the chief economist, and he was a very technical uh, oriented uh, guy. And we decided that we we're going to build the first neural nets and back propagation models, which would help with price pattern recognition. So we could match up history and, and be able to say that history will repeat it in some degree of, of, of accuracy. Not exactly, but give you an, a heads up that certain things are going to happen. Um, Steve Merrill and I do that show uh, for Bitcoin uh, once or twice a week and uh, the S&P 500 futures, so I still am actively involved with it. And um, what happened in in 1995 is we had a Friday afternoon meeting with our crude oil pit traders, and one of the guys, they had heard that we were working on this, and it was going pretty well, and he says to me, man, we ought to to, sit down and talk over the weekend, and, and we could make a fortune in sports betting. And I looked at him, and I swear to you, I said to him, are you an idiot? Sports betting is a 50% probability. It's a coin flip. Do you want to, you want to be involved with a coin flip? <laughs> well, you know what the answer was. Uh, and as you said, I went through a rare uh, cancer diagnosis. I was given 6 to 12 months in December of 2000. Um, it's 21 years later, and and the, the Lord above had a different plan for me. And I do believe it, it had to do with um, what I'm doing now. It's um, so, amazing to me the similarities between Wall Street 
and the way markets work on Wall Street, of course, they move much, much faster, and they're much, much bigger than the sports betting markets. But you have essentially a bid and ask. You know, you have the Eagles playing Tampa Bay. Some people are buying the Eagles. Some people are selling Tampa Bay. Some people are buying Tampa Bay and selling the Eagles. And that creates the market. And it's a you know, betting behavior that just fascinates the daylights out of me. John Ryan talking about his background. And we're going to get so much more with John coming up next. We're going to talk about hard numbers and stats. We're going to talk about October versus November versus September when it comes to sports betting. And John's going to give us a play or two before he leaves the show. Stay tuned. Coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. work. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Listen, get all the latest updates, breaking news, line changes, and more by following us on Twitter at SportsGrid and at SportsGridTV. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore Covers. And you can follow John Ryan on Twitter at John Ryan Sports One. John, we were talking about your Wall Street background and your superhero origin story. I got to ask you the why question, though. Okay, you worked on Wall Street. Sounds like you did pretty well. You made some money. You're a bright guy, clearly. Why the hell do you want to do this now? Is it worth the work? Is it worth the sweat? <laughs> what is it about sports betting that has attracted your attention as a legit money-making proposition after working in the Wall Street world? I think it's my, I have a passion for the, the creating certainty with something that is uncertain. And, you know, not to be vague with that, but it applies to the markets too. We could be looking at Apple computer. We could be looking at um, Iowa football. And there's similarities between the two. You get overbought situations in, in both uh, sports betting markets uh, based on recency bias, and you get the same thing in the, uh, the marketplace. Uh, I did a lot of uh, sentiment uh, studies on Wall Street. And what I mean by that is, um, and this actually, we had Warren Buffett uh, on, our, on our trading desk in the, in the 90s for a couple of days. And I mean, talk about simplicity. You know, it, it was basically being told that uh, John, there's a, a seesaw, and one side of the seesaw has fear, the other one has greed. And when the greed part of the seesaw is way up in the air, those are when tops are formed. And when fear is way up in the air and greed is way down, that's when you have the bottoms. And I'm telling you, the same thing applies to, to sports and sports betting. We've seen time and time again where we get, you know, 75% uh, of the world is betting on a certain team. Uh, you, you hear the media, you hear all kinds of uh, podcasts, and, you know, this, this, and that is, is almost guaranteed to happen. And I, that, those are the situations that I thrive on because then I, I learned uh, a lot about contrarian investing. And, you know, in futures trading, you have to be able to buy and make money and sell and make money because you can sell short 
price goes down, you buy it back, you just made money just as easy, if not easier, as you did from buying first and then selling. And Bitcoin, you know, that crash, uh, Steve Merrill and I were lucky enough to catch that. And um, that, that worked out pretty well. So I don't really care what direction anything's going. I just look for teams uh, and, you know, stocks, commodities that are just way ahead of themselves or just so beaten up that there's blood in the street and they should be gobbled up. Well, let's talk about the approach right now for college football, because obviously you're off to a heck of a start uh, this year in college football, ranked number one over at Sports Memo, your website. Um, when you're breaking down college football, when you're handicapping college football, are you purely a hard numbers and stats guy? Do you watch the games? Are you an eye test guy? Are you a let's dig into the local papers and find quotes and meaningful quotes? Are you a matchups guy? What is your approach and how'd you come to that approach? Well, the one, the one thing I'll tell you is that I, I am a certified Twitter developer, and that allows me to go into the, the back end and, and do some really interesting um, queries using a, a language called Python, which some of the listeners I'm sure are familiar with. And what I, what I am able to do is, is go in and get a, a pulse of the betting community on any game, any team uh, that you would want. Uh, so if I wanted to... Uh, do the Iowa Hawkeyes, I would use their hashtag, and I would search, and it would go through as many as 2,000 uh, different tweets. It would identify 2,000 tweets. It probably would go through 25,000 to uh, you know, get through all the filters that I require because it has to involve sports betting. It has to involve Iowa. It has to involve the Big Ten. So there's key words, and they're called stop words. So when this comes back as a result, and it takes uh, maybe 30 seconds, it gives me a pie chart of positive, negative, neutral uh, sentiment based on the words that people are saying on Twitter. So I feel that that is such a massive media uh, medium that I don't need to be reading it in the newspapers uh, like, the, like the old days, uh, that I can grab it uh, right out of there very quickly. I, I do read the, the big publications, though. I like the New York Times. I like the L.A. Times. I, I think there's some very, very good writers at both places. Washington Post even has some great writers in sports. And it gives you a, a feeling, too, of, of the, the local po um, uh, pulse of the team. I can tell you one thing, Teddy. In Philadelphia, the fan base there creates the biggest swings of the five years that I've been studying this way of uh, calculating sentiment. And, again, that ties in with um, the betting community. So if we, you know, I hate to keep going to the NFL here, but I mentioned the Eagles. So if, um, let's say they go on a losing streak and they're ready to fire the coach and uh, the quarterback sucks and this and that, the sentiment's going to be really negative. But I personally, if, it, if I see that in the betting markets, I will get bullish as all get out on a team that nobody likes. And I, and I do the same thing with um, the college teams. Uh, Iowa. So there's a lot out. of contrarian in, in what you're doing, John. It sounds like, you know, when you, when you see the sentiment pushing one team a little bit too high, you're like, there's got to be value going against them. And when you see the teams that nobody wants to back, you say, hey, there's going to be an extra point or two or more if I choose to back these teams. And you can find yourself on a whole bunch of ugly underdogs uh, given that strategy. Is that what you end up with? You end up with a bunch of ugly oh. dogs that are catching too many points. And then is it uh, working on a profit, or does this system spit out favorites for you as well? It'll spit out favorites, too. Um, I might mention, like, I, I agree with you, the ugly dog. I put out a 10-unit um, you know, play on Texas A&M last week. 
And uh, last I heard, they beat Alabama. And yeah, but Texas you know, A&M is not uh, Texas A&M is not the, an ugly dog. They're not, you know, Georgia State or something. They're not, you know, Eastern Michigan. Or, uh, Eastern Michigan's four and two right now. I'm, I'm, you know, they're not Bowling Green. Um, or, Texas A&M is an SEC team that's right? supposed to be a top ten team coming into the season. You know. Uh. Right, and that's and that's a great point, Ted. That's where I got the value. That that game, if I remember correctly, was at the preseason was lined at uh, Texas A and M. It's like a seven point underdog. Suddenly they're eighteen and a half, and then suddenly the, the sentiment was basically telling me that Alabama was going to just blow them off the field, and they certainly had the talent to do so. But sometimes you know you play the game, and the game flows get different than what you you know people expect, what coaches expect, and you know, poor decisions are made, and, and lo and behold, you know, the dog can win. Uh, we saw that last year with Florida, and they, their loss at home to LSU was a 24.5-point underdog. That was another one. Um, it, it happens, these double-digit dogs of 17.5 or more points, they win straight up more than you would think. And um, it, it's kind of amazing to me that the Lions can get that, you know, inflated, if you will, uh, given that it, the upsets happen so often, you know, you just don't see that as often in the NFL by comparison. No, you don't see a whole lot of 17-point dogs winning in the NFL because you don't see a whole lot of 17-point dogs. Right. <laughs> but uh, in, in college football, you know, you're going to see double-digit underdogs every week. You're going to see a lot of double-digit underdogs. But, um, you know, two or three of them pull outright upsets, and it makes a whole lot of headlines. I want to ask you, uh, John, here we are with, the, what, now the third week in October. All yep. right. Does your approach change in October compared to, say, September or November? Is there a time of year that you like better or worse for betting on college football? And what's your approach around this time of year as opposed to, let's say, very early in the season or in the latter stages of the campaign? Well, it's me for myself. The beginning of the season is probably the most uh, nervous uh, because I, I really don't know. You think you know the teams. You don't really know them, and then there's some crazy results that were surprising results that come out. But by this point of the season, you, you start to get a pretty good handle on, on what's going on in the landscapes. And I, I divvy them up by conference. So I, I spent a lot of time in the Big Ten, the SEC. And um, you now know really what's going on. We, we all know that Georgia is, is better than we thought. Um, Alabama has, has one loss, but it's kind of like, so what they have one loss. They're still in the hunt. Ohio state has one loss, but it was against a PAC 12 phone in Oregon who ended up then losing to Stanford, uh, when they were ranked number three. Uh, so we've had plenty of upsets, but week six and seven, um, uh, and, and sometimes eight is when you get these undefeated teams, uh, and they've been on a roll, and they're covering the spread five out of six times, and they've covered the spread. Like an example would be um, an undefeated team that has covered the spread by 48 or more points uh, over their last five games. That is, that'll immediately get my attention as a fade because uh, it tells me that everybody's going to now anticipate that whoever the next opponent is, they're going to win by more than what we thought two weeks ago. So what teams fall into that category this week? Uh, certainly Iowa does. Um, Iowa does. Uh, North Carolina. And um, you know, Miami of Florida has been, a, a, I think, a big disappointment. I think you agree, too. 
but, but that's a game that has that upset appeal to me. It hasn't made my final card yet. I haven't gone to the window with it. But that's a situation, I think, where you're getting Miami on the cheap and you're selling um, – North Carolina has been weak all year. Yeah. Now, you're worried all about the Miami quarterback injury. Miami lost their starting QB, Derek King, uh, which is why this line has moved from, uh, you know, six, six and a half up across the key number of seven. Uh, we've got about 10 seconds for the break. So, real quick, your thoughts on Derek King being out this week? Well, I think it's just like the news of non-farm payroll that you get on Wall Street. It's factored into the number. So, whoever that quarterback is going to be, whoever's replacing the injury, uh, whatever the surprises may be, is already shown in that betting number. So I, I more with John coming up after it. the break. Sports happens every day, and we give you expert insights and information on gaming, I and more every day. You see a trend? This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We've got extended time with John Ryan today talking college football here on Cover It with Teddy Covers. And let's get right back into it, John. You know, here we are, third week in October. I want to talk about some of the biggest surprise teams for you in college football, maybe the biggest disappointment so far. And you talked about Iowa right before the break as being a team that has been a major surprise, but a team that you think might be a little bit overvalued right now. Uh, what do you do with a team like Iowa moving forward? Is there a team we want to bet on or a team we want to bet against? Uh, they're, they're definitely on the, on the fade list. And, um, you know, Purdue is a team that has had their number in recent years. We've already seen Oregon number three uh, get knocked off. We saw number one get knocked off. And Iowa is a team that I, I will be honest, I, I just cannot believe how they're winning. They just seem to be a, the, the Cinderella story. And, uh, you know, Penn State in their last game, in my opinion, was dominating. And uh, they lost their quarterback, and the game changed. And you know what? Injuries are part of the game. So it's not what it should have, could have club. It's the fact that I was ranked number two. Uh, but I do look at this, this matchup against Purdue, and if you are the number two team in the country, as if the season would end today, and this was your playoff game against Purdue – Aren't you favored by a little bit more than 11 and a half? And aren't people putting a little bit more money on you? I mean, the line has come down a point from 12 and a half. Uh, so that's yeah, my but I mean, at too. the same time, John, I mean, everybody, everybody who bets on sports knows that Iowa is not the number two team in the country. Okay. And from a powering perspective, Iowa's not in anybody's top 10. Not anybody's top 10. But. What we see at this time of year in October, we get crazy teams ranked in the top five in October. I remember the year where South Florida was ranked as the number one team in the country in October. Why? Because some teams have already suffered their first loss and others haven't. So that's why the Hawkeyes are ranked number two. But there's not a better out there. You know, that number two ranking is purely for people that pay attention to polls and betters pay no attention to polls, the best I could tell. What about a team like right, Kentucky? Right. You know, uh, who's gotten off to this hot start. Or Wake Forest, uh, a team that's gotten off to a hot start. Talk about those two teams. 
Uh, I know you do a lot more with the SEC than the ACC, so maybe you focus on Kentucky here. But Kentucky and Wake, two, Wake, two other upstarts in early college football action. Are they bet on moving forward, or are these teams now overvalued commodities? Well, I, I think with Kentucky, it, it's, a, it's a very good story. They're you know, 6-0, but they have a tough assignment this week against Georgia, uh, who is, you know, art, I mean, there's no doubting who Georgia is. You can't find too many things that are wrong with them right now. And, um, you know, being a 21-and-a-half-point underdog on the road, you know, Mark Stoops has done a great job. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But this, this is a tough assignment, and uh, I'm not on this game. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kentucky make it a, you know, a 10-point uh, final result. But I, I don't see, fundamentally, looking at the matchups, how in the world Kentucky is going to be able to pull off the upset. And um, so that tells you, too, I don't just look at numbers. I, I then take a look at the fundamentals. And one of the things in October that I love looking at is yards per point. I think you can get a lot of efficiency measures out of that. Uh, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks, yards per point is, is meaningless because it depends on who they played, strength of schedule, who the opponent was. But now we have a little bit bigger sample size here with teams having played six and seven games. And, you know, these efficiencies are, are starting to come to the surface. So when I get something where a defense is, um, you know, has a, a 20 uh, two yard per point uh, measure. That that's an exceptional defense at this point of the year. Uh, is that measuring that, or is that just measuring the fact that the offense isn't turning the ball over in bad positions and the punting game is good? Well, that that's in Iowa, and that has to be that has to be taken into consideration too. So I do tie turnovers into the metric and and create this little monster uh, metric out of a lot of different things, uh, including strength of, of the opponent. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, Iowa had short fields um, averaging, you know, their averaging start drive was a 39-yard line of the opponent until the Penn yep. State game. <laughs> so their <laughs> yards per point has to be adjusted for that. Uh, so, you know, length of drive, uh, length of the scoring drives, how many three and outs are all factored into that, that one model I have. And, but yards per point is the, is the fundamental basis of it. So I think and for let me jump in real, for, for just a minute, John, because it's sure. important to, to, to emphasize this. The mainstream stats you're going to hear, oh, this team's got the number one running game. This team's got the number one and 30 ranked defense. They're useless. All right? they, are useless. they don't factor in strength of schedule. They don't factor in how many plays were run in the game. If you want stats that are actually meaningful, okay, yards per play, yards per point, those are the type of things that will tell you how efficient your team is offensively and defensively. And those are stats that people actually, who are actually betting on games, pay attention to. Some of the stats I see thrown around there, they're just useless. They're worse than useless because they're going to point you in the wrong direction. Uh, agree or disagree? I agree 1,000%. And I think when you, your last part, when you say you hear these useless stats and I hear it, I, I immediately go to the other team. It's contrarian. Uh, there's a, a statistic called uh, the p-value, and everybody, I think, has probably heard the z-score, but the p-value is, is the z-score on steroids. And we have trends that, uh, you know, Coach uh, so-and-so is 15-1, and one, uh, coming off a loss and holding uh, that opponent to 125 or fewer rushing yards. Well, that's, that's hogwash. It, it just it means nothing. And furthermore, if it's 15-1, and one, uh, it's not going to be 30-2. and two. 
And it's more than likely going to start leveling out at, at the worst, if not completely reverse. And, uh, and that's part of the Wall Street when you watch prices and they, they get extended like a rubber band stretches. And then all of a sudden that rubber band snaps and it, it reverts back. Um, you know, we had that case with the Chicago White Sox this year going up against left-handed starting pitching. It was like something ridiculous, like 22 and 2. And yeah. then after everybody got done talking about it, it, it leveled out and actually went the other way. And then suddenly we had teams like Baltimore. Uh, my goodness, they're great against left-handed pitching, but they, they suck as a team. You know, it, it, it just didn't mean anything. But it did for the White Sox up to a point. And then that P-value gets maxed, and, the, and it tells me the correlation between the parameters that we're talking about and that are working together to produce that record are, are done and over with, uh, I call it maturing, then I, I stay away from it. It's, uh, it's not a contrarian, but it's a, it's a red flag. So we've got just about five minutes left here with John Ryan. And, John, there's a bunch I want to get to, so I'd appreciate if you could give me some quick hitter answers here. We talked about it. some of the surprise teams, Iowa, Kentucky, Wake Forest. What about the disappointments? The Clemsons of the world. You talked about Miami and Florida as a potential bet on for you this week. LSU's been a disappointment. Tulane's been a disappointment. Any of those teams stand out to you as some uh, as the teams that betters might want to be looking to bet on over the back half of the campaign? Or are the teams like Clemson and Miami and LSU that are having disappointing seasons, are they just destined to have disappointing seasons? Well, I think, I think uh, Clemson is actually a, a play that I gave out as a premium pick tonight. Uh, so I have Clemson minus 13 and a half at, at Syracuse and, uh, you know, feel confident. Obviously it's just one game, uh, but I, I think they are on the cheap right now. And, and, you know, if they wouldn't have had the start of the season, they would have had, uh, I mean, this game could have been lined at minus 24. Uh, but again, not should have, would have, could have, but what is Clemson now? And I, and I do think that they're, they have a schedule coming up where they can get out of this um, and have a, a decent shot at that ACC if everything just kind of falls into place. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson won this by, by 20 tonight. Um, my, my one predictive model uh, shows that Clemson, when they score 27 or more points, uh, is outstanding against the spread when on the road. Uh, so that that's another reason why I'm on Clemson, because – the sentiment is, is not highly negative, but nobody really wants to bet Clemson as much as they want to bet Alabama or Georgia. Uh, so I think Clemson is, is kind of flying under the radar here, and we'll find out tonight. Yeah, so uh, let's get one free play uh, for our listening audience for Saturday night college football action. What stands out to John Ryan this weekend betting college footy? Well, a team that is uh, – kind of been a surprise, I guess. It's a Mississippi against Tennessee, and I'm on Tennessee. And there is a, a betting angle here I'll, I'll mention uh, quickly. And you're betting on any team in a game line within three and a half points on either side of pick them. So either three and a half point favorite, three and a half point dog. And it's facing a, a pretty good team that outscores their opponents by an average of seven, which is what Mississippi does. And, with, and are coming off a game in which they allowed 31 or more points to two consecutive teams. That set of parameters is 44 and 14 with two pushes for 76% over the last 10 seasons. And um, from my predictive stuff, Tennessee is expected to score 27 or more points tonight. So there's at least an 85% probability 
based on the models, and they, yeah, that means there's a 15% chance it's wrong, too, that they're going to score 27 or more. So in games that they have won the turnover battle, which is the other pr- predictive measure, and scored 27 or more, Tennessee's 15-1 and one straight up, 13-3 and three against the number when meeting or exceeding those projections. So that is why I'm on Tennessee tonight, or Saturday, today. So uh, <laughs> when you talk about a game that's totaled in the 80s, and this is the highest total of the season so far in college football, uh, I'm seeing as high as 82.5 on that game as we speak, and who knows where, where it'll go by kickoff. Uh, when you see a total that high, does that make you less inclined to take the points? Do you want more points in a game like that? I mean, uh, talk to me about your approach with total in this range. And more importantly, promote yourself, buddy. Tell people what's going on and what's going on with John. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Teddy, when the total is higher, um, and I do this in the NBA because that's the highest scoring sport we have, I do a lot of in-game betting. And, it, and it's stuff that I learned on Wall Street, where you're, you're selling in the strength, you're buying the weakness. And in a game lined with 80 points, that, you know, and a, and a spread of, uh, I forget what this, this spread is, but let's say, it, you know, both teams are going to score more than 35 points. There's going to be times where the, the, the opponent that you are going against with your bet is going to score back-to-back times. And when they score back-to-back times, it can make you feel really down, like, oh, my God, I don't have the right bet. But actually, it's a betting opportunity to do the in-game. And I, I did this as a tweet, Oklahoma, 28-7. to 7, I said, if you like Oklahoma pre, pre-flop, you must absolutely love them now. And I, I did this a pizza money bet on that, but it, it worked out. But you got to let that price volatility work in your favor, especially in these high, you know, track meet type of games. Great and, stuff, John. Uh, Listen, we got about 30 seconds left, so if you want to promote yourself, now's your chance. Okay. Well, I'm over at sportsmemo.com. As Teddy was kind enough to say that I am doing very, very well. I was the number one handicapper last year in the NFL, hitting 65.8. This year, we're doing better. The models are getting smarter. Uh, 70.4% run in college football over the last 30, 65%. The last 83 college and pro combined, 66 over the last 70 NFL best bets over the last three seasons. And I'm 12-2 and two in NFL totals for 86% so far this season. That's a great track record. You can find John at sportsmember.com. You can follow him on Twitter at John Ryan Sports One. When we come back, I'll give you a free play for Saturday's college football early start action. Stay tuned. We're a different kind of sports talk. Not just talk about sports, but talk about sports you can use. Get the winning edge. Keep it here. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. Of course, we'll do an NFL version of this same show tomorrow. You can check it out right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. College Pod on Saturday, NFL for Sundays. 
And of course, you can catch the replays of these shows as well. And you can download the podcast version if you missed any portion of today's show. You want to go back and check it out. If you want to get archived versions of previous shows, Cover It with Teddy Covers available at all the major podcast outlets. You can download it and watch and listen, I should say, at your convenience. Let's talk some college football. Early start action on Saturday noon on the East Coast. 9 a.m. here on the West Coast. I'll tell you what. <laughs> your first weekend in Vegas, you're like, the game started at 9 a.m.? What the heck? That's the way it works when you live in Sin City. And look, I honestly could do this analysis in one sentence. Rutgers versus Northwestern. Rutgers minus two. I'm seeing two and a half on the road uh, right now. And this is your sentence. Here's your sentence. Rutgers has no business as road favorites in Big Ten action. Especially against the Northwestern team coming off a truly humiliating loss and a bye week to recover from it. Look. What happened to Northwestern at Nebraska prior to the bye was, I believe, the worst game they played in the 16 years of Pat Fitzgerald's tenure. All right, they've had, I know they've had some bad games. That was as bad as any of them. Uh, All right. (laughs) Now they've had an extra week of prep. You know, you had a week to go home, lick your wounds, refocus. All the quotes coming out of this team from Pat Fitzgerald are not, woe is me, it's a, I think we can do some stuff over the back half of the campaign. Quote, I love this group of guys. I think they're working their tail off. We've been too inconsistent, and that's on me. Well, it's not like Rutgers is the most consistent team. And, of course, while Northwestern's coming in off the bye, hungry, off a humiliating loss, off the bye, Rutgers, well, they've just lost three in a row, all against quality competition. Their bye doesn't come until after the game. Northwestern plus two, plus two and a half? Sure, count me in. Look at the Wildcats to hang tough and probably win this one against the Scarlet Knights today. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the game. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Giving you your U.S. recommended daily allowance of the winning edge. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. Open wide. (laughs) This is the Sports Grid Radio Network.